Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Hi everyone, this episode is brought to you by Just Do. Just Do is a portfolio project management tool we've been using at Project Chatter. Whilst all other systems cater for small teams, Just Do caters for teams large and small, plus it has no set hierarchies, meaning your structure, your platform, your workflow. I agree, Val. While Just Do is simple to use, it also has a lot of powerful functionality. My favorite is the task-specific chat. Yes, and for all you slackers out there, don't wait for Monday. Do check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. In this week's pod, we welcomed Donnie McNichol to talk about the art of complex change management. Donnie is the founder of Team Animation, which works across multiple sectors, energizing leaders and teams, delivering complex change to maximize value and certainty of success through a focus on the human dimension. He, f- he certainly did focus on the human dimension throughout this whole episode, Val. I mean, I think you mentioned at the end about how personal, you know, all of the, the insight was. Um, but yeah, what, what were the best bits for you? Well, I think uh, Donnie and I are quite kindred in terms of self-development. He talked a lot about professional development and looking inward. Um, he mentioned insights a number of times, but also he gave a few freebies away uh, that people can who are listening can go do themselves. Yeah, I agree. I, I love a freebie. I, I think all of our listeners love a freebie as well. And we've got those links in the show notes. Martin, anything you want to draw out? I really liked how he talked about the evolution of people in project management. There's a bit of a cultural shift and some mm. kind of tangible models that, that can be applied. So listen out for that. Um, I also quite liked his uh, cynicism around who, who really benefits from project failure. Quite an interesting listen. Yeah, agree. <laughs> agree. I mean, just his sense of humor, his British or Scottish sense of humor um, is one to look out for as well, folks. We won't spoil the whole episode. Sit back, relax, enjoy the pod. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always great to have you with us. Um, 
if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button or follow us on your favorite podcast player or YouTube. If you prefer to watch our bloopers, you can also leave us a rating and comment if you like. Now, Mr. Dale, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. It's um, yeah, good to be back. Another week, another episode, another fantastic guest. Uh, yeah, I'm great. Maybe I'm not as great as Martin, though. Oh, I'm always good. Yeah, I missed a, missed a good episode last week. I was, uh, sorry for not being there. Well, we did have a little bit of a technical challenge. I think there was a storm brewing over, over Rio, uh, but America was fantastic, and it was good to have another PMO fan on the call. Uh, but today, let's get into it and then introduce our guest for this evening. It's going to be Mr. Donny. Donny, how are you, sir? Uh, very well. Thank you, James. Look, it's great to have you on board, and you've got such a an interesting background. We were just talking uh, off <laughs> off recording, and uh, you know, there's some things we can share and some things we won't. But uh, I want to get started with the first question we generally ask a lot of our guests, uh, particularly when you're in a unique kind of role. And change, I feel, is um, one. It's a very important role, and transformation is a, is a very important part of projects today. But how did you start, Donny? If we can go back a little bit and start with your origin story. How did you get into change and transformation? Yeah, um, I, I guess I went straight into the projects world, but I wouldn't necessarily have called it that. Um, I graduated in civil engineering, and then you're into you know, working in a design, uh, working as a designer on a project. So, of course, it wasn't a project management mindset at that time. It was about the technicalities of doing the design and I moved from one design company to the next and in the second design company to get chartered I needed to go and site so I then went and site and I was the guy walking about with the clipboard you know kind of saying whether stuff was good bad or indifferent and thinking that the people that were delivering the project were incompetent now in hindsight looking back they were and it was just hot when I think back, that sewage works. Let's just say if it hasn't fallen down by now, I'd be quite surprised. Um, and I thought I could do better than this. And then the opportunity came to join a company. Then it was called Bovis Construction. And I so I went from one side of the clipboard to the guy that when the road closure doesn't work and there's 15 contractors turn up and whatever, I was a construction manager on a big couple of big projects. Um, so again, project sphere. And I was always inquisitive about what, so that's the construction management, but of course they had project managers working for them and um, quite like that. And then I was looking for another opportunity and joined a, a very small niche consultancy called MACE. Now, if any of you know Mace, they, they're not quite so small or quite so niche anymore at however many, I'm not quite mm. sure they're at five figures now, but they're in the many, many thousands. Um, I think I joined at something like 80, number 80, um, and quite a heady days. I have to say it was one hell of a company to work for and worked for them for quite some time. And then I was always, again, inquisitive about more about the why the project was being done and at that time the if you will the the macy's and i'm going to use companies names now who weren't around then but they kind of were if you will the the jacobs the acoms I don't think any of these companies existed then as such but they're all mm. um 
they weren't doing that high-end consultancy. So I joined PA Consulting and it was more about the why. So it kind of took it up a level, if you will, um, which of course is now what all of them do, the same type of thing. And, you know, apart from lately, my, my rate doubling or tripling from between the Friday night and the Monday morning when I joined a management consultancy and loved that. That wasn't just in the construction infrastructure world. And that was the first time of the how you can transfer your skills out, out from one sector or industry to another. And I really enjoyed looking uh, working at PA. Um, being brutally honest, I wasn't sure where I could go because I wasn't, I didn't perceive myself as being that great at selling or building the kind of relationships you needed to move to kind of management consultant partner level. And I started looking around. And so this is, I need to get this right, this is the 90s. And um, there was a little letter starting to appear in front of everything called E. So it was E this, as long as you put an E and then you put a dot com, you know, you, anything you devised in your kitchen sink the day before was worth at least a hundred million. I don't think there's many billion because billion was an awful lot of money then. Nowadays, of course, it's loose change. Um, but the, so I joined a e-media company called Modem Media and who were the first company in the world to put, I think if this is correct, an email link and a website and various things. Now, of course, now you expect a three-year-old to be able to do that. You know, literally a three-year-old to be able to build a, a crude site and some simple app. Then it was quite something, you know, and quarter of a million pounds or half a million pounds didn't get you an awful lot. So I was involved with delivering quite big programs and also kind of trying to improve the project capability. And if you know your history at all about that, it all, the bubble well and truly burst. Um, it was kind of inevitable when, you know, companies with three people in a garden shed were getting valued at a billion uh, just because they had the website. It was, it was ridiculous. So it made redundant. And that was 20 years ago, which is a bit hard to, uh, hard to believe, really. But I was, had to do stuff for when company's house recently. I went in and lo and behold, it's going to 20 years. I think it's in February, actually, next year. Wow. So I've been doing it ever since. And so far, I haven't starved to death. And <laughs> it was quite... Uh, uh, please jump in, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll yeah, very high level overview and then just say what I've been doing in the last few years. Um, and I think I, by the time I was, uh, I started what was called Proco to begin with, P R O C O, because I thought it was very clever, you know, <clears throat> project consultancy coach program. It was all, I thought it was a very clever play in words, so but it didn't particularly say much. And it changed to team animation. And that was through working with a guy, I remember in the business center at the Institution of Civil Engineers, and we were trying to get a new name. And he said, you're quite animating. And we said, well, what could you call it in front? And then put team, kind of motivate and bring teams together. And Dale, you've got a little bit of experience. You know, I can't help but bring people together um, and to do things together, I just love it. Um, 
you know, maybe not the best choice of name because, you know, you get large numbers of emails from people with animation software. <laughs> <laughs> want to get connected to LinkedIn going, no, we haven't read my profile. Oh, team animation software, you know, so no, no. Um, and so just about all of that time I was doing, so I had my technical project management stuff, didn't really know what program management war, war, was really uh, in the true technical sense or, or portfolio so much, we touched on it, but not much. But the other bit, I was starting to do things like neuro-linguistic programming, so NLP, little bits in, on emotional intelligence. Um, I did some, uh, I say, very deep personal development stuff with an organization called Landmark Education. Um, so there was a kind of the technical bit and the people bit. And I was involved with the Association for Project Management around then. Um, and I think I... I, my next quite a few years bumped around between technical project type stuff, consultancy, back to doing team leadership development workshops. I wouldn't like to think how many leadership training uh, trainings I've run or workshops have facilitated or, or things like that. And I've you know, developed quite a lot of good thinking along the way. So I'm now very glad to hear I'm jumping about 10 years on now till five years ago and the things that we developed an academy model well that academy model it turns out is being used in a couple of different places now so delighted by and we've got a couple of bits of work we're doing on it which we'll come back to maybe later um and so about five years ago i guess i thought i was down the project changey but the leadership side of things but I guess fate and a few other things. Um, it's quite hard if anyone is in the running team leadership stuff to, to fill a funnel of work when you get 10 days here or five days there or whatever, it's quite exhausting. So I was doing then more consultancy work and it started to get into the complex arena of, I uh, did a few bits and pieces in the HS2 design teams. Um, and Sellafield, the nuclear reprocessing uh, area. So started doing that, acting as program coach there through a big consultancy. And so went back more to the technical consultancy area. But every time I did that, it was always the human dimension that I was focusing on. So yes, did I need to know what an IAPS is and assurance and did I have to sort out governance frameworks and all that incredibly interesting stuff but it still came back to yeah but why is no one using that stuff well actually it was because they weren't motivated so can i always drag it back to the but why are the humans not doing it and then so that's kind of kept going and now the uh my right now We've recently been doing work with, uh, I was working with the UK Parliament, working for the CIO, then the CDI, well, she's now um, the CDI, it's the Chief Digital and Information Officer, um, working for Parliament, how they were reacting and how they were going to cope with something called the R&R programme, which is you know, £10 billion, pounds, up to five, ten billion. Um, massive program to redo the Palace of Westminster. 
Um, and if you walk through the palace, you will understand why it's not going to take a few hundred million. Um, and so that was great. They've been doing work with the Baltic state government for about three years, and that's helping with a team of fellow of colleagues from Acumen 7 working on developing a national program management function. So um, that's been really uh, exciting. And we're coming to the end of phase two, which is actually designing the, the playbook for how they do it, the governance frameworks and so on. So that's been great. Also doing work with the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority on risk and assurance competencies. And we're in the phase two of all the design. How do you roll that out? And that I can talk about publicly because we're we're looking at trying to work with other organizations to see what good looks like, talking to people like hopefully within the Shell Academy who are you know, kind of world leaders in, in this type of work. Mm -hmm. um, and recently taken on a role as a digital transformation program director for a major consultancy in the UK for a um, major government agency and various other little bits and piece, pieces that I do. Um, Dale will be aware of something which comes to my passion for community. Um, we've started using some software called Opiner that brings people together by video message, three minute snippets responding to a question that somebody poses all done automatically through a phone uh, um, app. <clears throat> wonderfully clever um also run or created something called the delivery club with um the most amazing wonderful man in the world jonathan norman who i'm delighted to do stuff with um so that's about bringing delivery leaders so heads of projects or head of capability for organizations together to share knowledge and expertise and, and um and a couple of other things so i i need a large broad range of things to be involved with and I like jumping around a little bit of the strategy challenging strategy stuff a little bit around the kind of change management although maybe we'll touch on that I think it's turned into some black art that's going to be specially trained in which I think is a bit of a nonsense it's treated completely separate from project management and the people and leadership and so on so it's a kind of emerge and I kind of like to work in the middle of all of that where people have got problems and breathe that was there. that was great that was one of the best I think in terms of origin stories you really went and took us back uh Donnie and it's oh, great I mean we didn't want to rush you because I think it's important for listeners to hear about where you went and where you've been uh, you mentioned so many amazing things then uh, I think we're kindred because I did a bit of NLP I did Landmark as well, Donnie. Oh, um, fantastic. And right. uh, so I'm 100% behind you on that. I think it's a fantastic course. Uh, also, again, shout out to Jonathan Norman because he's a fantastic guy. And just some of the initiatives you mentioned, I mean, you say it in such a, a quick passing, but they're significant initiatives and we'll go around them in a sec. I did want to ask you one more question before I hand to Dale is just in terms of uh, training for change, because you mentioned the human element of it. What, you know, there's a lot of people that, feel like change management itself is not a valuable sport or a craft. And I, I kind of argue the difference is that it, it has, it's a necessity of, of humans to understand where we are, where we're going and how we're going to get there, but also to manage some of the resistors within projects and programs and even at the strategy level. Um, what would you say from your, you know, your experience and your vast history across projects and programs, uh, 
would be a relatively good training for people to adopt. It doesn't matter what level they're at. They should go out there and, and, and try and master some of this, some of these skills. I'll, I'll maybe um, do the, polit the politician bit first and, and answer a slightly different question, Val, and I'll come back to yours, which a politician wouldn't do, of course. They would just keep going off at a tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I made the, the sounded quite critical about change management, what I meant was it's treated in a box and you've got mm. your project or your program people. And I thought that just a portfolio is something different, really. It's a project program. And then, oh God, that's that change stuff when we've got to actually try and work out what we're actually trying to change. Now, we don't do that. We do, it's the change management profession that do that. That I do not like that um, because I find it hard to believe. I mean, I think back to the PA days, you know, I don't think there was, we had the concept almost of a change managers it was like, well, you might have had uh, some stakeholder experts or commute comms experts, but you couldn't disassociate the project from the change. So I never, I, I didn't really kind of advocate or so I support that. And I guess I, I still don't. When it gets big enough, of course, the change part is, and you've got to have your methodology and approach for putting change champions in, et cetera but it shouldn't be a discrete, distinct thing. And I would still say whoever the project program is should have that change element reporting to them. And if they don't, then they're, 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 um, they're abdicating like, the most important thing, which is delivering what it was they said they were going to deliver and justified the investment in the first place. So mm. um, anyway, that, thus, thus end that little sermon. Um, that going back to your original question, which, um, I can't even remember now. No, I'm joking. I did. Right, you got so. it. You got it. Um, <laughs> in terms of training, um, this is going to sound a little bit um, kind of glib, but I'll tell a little bit of a story. 13 years ago, I got a phone call from somebody at, at Oxford Brooks because I do a bit of lecturing as well because I don't have enough other things to keep myself amused and um, a lovely lady there called Ezra Curl and Ezra got me involved in doing the MSC um, uh, for a whole series of, of uh, MSC students, real estates, quantity surveying and so on. It was the first day of the MSC, the poor bastards. So they ended up in a room with me. I think to begin with we used to do two Days. Then it went down to one. We've been doing it virtually as well. That's 13 years later. Now, why do I tie that story to it? What they got was what I would think is the most important thing. They got personal insight. So we used a model, and it happens to be the one I, uh, the model I use called IMA, IMA. And James Knight, who is the lovely founder of it, will be horrified when I say, you know, it's a it's a kind of, is he, it looks and smells quite a lot like DISC. And the underlying model is pretty similar to insights, to him, all sorts. But um, I'm, I think, is unique in a number of ways. And they get that insight about themselves. And because a lot of the people at the start of their career, often you usually need to wait till you're in your 30s or 40s even 
before you start doing change and leadership developments work and then you get the insight that you should have bloody hard when you were 20 or 21 at the latest. So the MSC, so I'm just taking that one example, that MSC is, I think is Ezra was insightful of going, imagine we gave them that and then you, if you know yourself, then you understand the relationships and me to work in, let's say with Martin. So if I'm, if I'm let, let, in fact, let's just take an example. When people see this video on YouTube, do they see all four screens? No, they'll see whoever's talking. Right. Okay, they'll see whoever's talking. Right. So look, what I'm looking at, listeners, is there's four screens. So if you imagine that it is the disk model is uh, always breaks down to, although they'll all hide, hide it in different ways by making it curved or changing the color slightly, but fundamentally it's four boxes, you know, two by two matrix. And if we're all different colors, you know, and assuming they all use colors in the same way, which they don't, there's a red, blue, green, and yellow. If so, I've got Dale opposite from Martin in my screen diagonal. So that means there are two, two axes different level of assertiveness, maybe in the way that whether they put task or people first. So, and me and Val are at the opposite. So if you had that insight, if we were working as a team of four, First of all, to go, oh, somebody said I'm a yellow. Again, we're not trying to box anyone, just caveats here before some occupational psychologists ever start phoning in or writing in going, oh, God, you can't box people. We know that. it's a, Everyone's a mixture. But let's just say you most associate with yellow. Then down in the other box might be Val, who's the opposite colour. If I know that about me, if I choose to... And this is a big, biggest point. If I choose to remember that and do something with it, I kind of look down and go, right, so Val's the exact opposite of me in this matrix. Does that possibly explain why we think differently or we act different? May not. It may be because you like Manchester City and I like Manchester United. And that's enough. And I, I say it lightly, but it might be enough of I come from the north, you come from the south. There's a million things that differentiate us, but that might give a kind of a basis to have an insight. Um, again, so I'm doing quite a, a sales job for Ezra for the MSC, but the MSC is very experiential and they've got to work in teams, often in threes and fours. So, so they get this bit, the insight about themselves, they get a how they communicate with Sir Martin to say to Dale, what are the things that are backwards and forwards? And then you get into the group. Now, I don't really care what model they get. They could use a triangular strengths deployment inventory or a five circular overlapping GCI index, which I've recently become accredited in, or, or it doesn't really, as long as you get something that gives you a bit of a language and a structure to have a conversation and as I say, I love IMA because it gives you so quickly high red, high green, high blue, high yellow. It's quick, it's immediate, and you can use it. And there's been nearly 10,000 people have completed my profile, the one I've got. So for a matter of interest, it's ima-pm.co.uk. It's free of charge. You just put your name and email in if you want. You don't even need to put that. But if you give it to me, I will sell it on and make vast profits from um, spam people. Joke, again. Yeah. Um, 
then you, you can get that personal insight. And I make no, no apologies for 10 questions. I've used it with senior military, senior government, sponsors and SROs and major programs, you name it, because it's it's quickly getting to the, that was, that was quite insightful. So what? Mm. Does that explain why our risk management approach is dreadful and we've never spotted a risk or why everyone keeps saying it, there's too much bureaucracy or why are we having conflict all the time between one of the suppliers and design company? Why? And mm. that's how I like to use it. So if you can remember back a few minutes when I was saying I thought I would go down the pure route of doing team and leadership development where you'd spend days doing that, you know, and it would tell you what color underpants you'll wear in three days because it's so predictive. <laughs> um, I just kept having to drag it back to so what. Yeah. And I'll, before I forget, um, I bore everyone with this thing all the time, but I have been asked many, many times to deliver a team or a leadership bit and have a guess. So there's usually a topic, there's a problem that they have or why they're coming together. And then they want to lighten the mood or they want lighter moods. So there's this team leadership bit. Which order do you think they normally ask you to do that in? Morning or afternoon for the leadership and team bit? I'd say morning. But yeah. Uh, come on. Yeah. No. No, what it is, is for, but nearly always, never hardly had the case. People want to come in, they want to do the difficult bit, which is deal with the fact that sales figures aren't as great or they'll get a bit of a conflict and then lighten the mood and have a little bit of fun or whatever and do that and do the people bit in the afternoon. And every time I've been able to, so far, maybe I'll walk away one day, is reverse it and say, no, you do that in the morning and then that might help explain why you're having meeting in the afternoon. And, you know, without getting boring the commercial, you're going to pay for me around for a day anyway, whether I do an hour or whether I do eight or 10 hours. So let me facilitate help you in the afternoon. So this isn't a pitch about me. This is a pitch about anyone that does it. You should be asking them and going, look, actually, once you've done it, can you help us to actually solve the problem of why our cash flow projections never seem to match um, the reality. That seems obtuse, but it might be enough to go, crikey, yes, yeah, so that's the people that do the cash flow projections and the people that are doing the reality are different. Oh, my God, optimism mm. bias and different people. Mm. So, yeah, I'll, 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 I could bang on about this till... That's, that's a good point. That's a good point, Donnie. We'll, we'll definitely share in the show notes about um, any any sites that you can do this. And I love the idea that you can, you know, personal insights, you know, start with yourself first. I love that concept. And actually, it reminds me of something Dale Martin and I have done. We did the, I think it was the insights version. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, insights. And we, went, we, we went the next step where we said, well, okay, well, because in the insights is very similar. You've got color spectrum. You, you know this, Donnie. Um, but you had, you had something that was really great on the back end, how to communicate with others. And that was one of the challenges we had. We had a team of 40 or 50, whatever it was. But the challenge was on a good day versus a bad day, um, what, what is that person like? And there was, you know, as we said, we're not boxing people in. We're just looking at predicates perhaps and preferences. But it was very useful to see, you know, the people that I kind of rubbed up against who, you know, I just couldn't figure them out. I was like, what's wrong with these people? 
I found they were kind of heavily into process and structure and they needed, you know, a sequence of activities and it needed to be very orderly. Whereas I am the complete opposite, Donnie. <laughs> so don't look behind me because there's paperwork everywhere and uh, mind maps, but you know, we, we managed to get that, didn't we, Dale? And mm. plot that on, I think it was Dale's idea, actually. Plot that onto an org chart with the colors in the org chart, uh, which was great because then anyone else who in the company who had been trained could pick that org chart up for the entire PMO and say, oh, Dale's a red, you know, oh, Val's a red and yellow. Oh, what's going on here? So it, it allowed people to kind of shift and, and adapt their communication. And we try to gamify it a, a bit where, yeah. We wanted people to have fun with it and be curious and, oh, that guy's, he's yellow, green, blue, whatever it is. Um, and we had a boss, I think uh, one of our directors there, Dale, was green, which was, which was very rare in our team. It was, it was bizarre. So it was just interesting to see where everyone was coming from. And I think that allowed patience and acceptance and a bit of durability. It's like, okay, well, you know, you're not like me, so therefore I should not be expecting the same things from you. Uh, but I'll hand it to Dale because I know he'll have some thoughts and feelings about this. No, it's great. Um, you know, we reminisce about it, Val, but we got them laminated and we, you know, we put them all across the office for everyone to see the full team. And everyone loved it except for one person, Martin, because he's colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, can't tell the reds and the greens. But anyway. Um, I thought he was going to say he didn't like his profile. You went to a different one. Yeah, uh, yeah that too. He probably didn't. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I came out as green, so I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> just to pick up, sorry, just to finish in that, um, the IMA thing's been around for a long time. And James, again, you can do that equivalent exercise free of charge. And in fact, I've got sheets that I've got all this, so I just give them away. It's maybe mm. one of the reasons why I get about a lot is because I just give stuff away like this. And it's, um, Brilliant. but the IMA, um, another little shout out, I do stuff with a lovely couple called Thomas and Penny Power, um, involved in them um, a lot in the UK. And Thomas and Penny, had um, a social network called eCademy. So this was before LinkedIn exist, existed or Facebook. And it was a huge thing. But the reason I tell you about that, and it was hugely insightful, was James was some James Knight, who was creator of IMA, was in that. And the profiles, if you did your IMA profile, you had your photograph and it had the color, but it had down the side the points of how to best engage with me. So if I went and I thought, oh, I'm going to tie up with Martin, it would have the what to do and what not to do. Now that's 15 years ago. Yeah. We had that as well, actually. We had it on the back of the laminate. So you could see sunshine yellow, yeah. you know, on a good day, on a bad day, how they'd react. Um, these are not difficult things to, to yeah. necessarily do, but it's applying it as... And I, I think the challenge is always how, if you went back three months later, is it still embedded into the psyche of the team? Mm. Not just written into the team charter, point 0.14 that's forgotten about, and the laminates of all turned into tea coasters, they're all gone. <laughs> it's still literally the, yeah. in the DNA of how things work. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, it, and it is long lasting because, I mean, we still talk about it today. So it's great. Awesome, yeah. But I did want to lift it back up a level, Donnie, as well, because um, I think we've discussed uh, on a few different episodes, you know, the difference between what complexity is and the difference between complex and complicated. Um, we've obviously had episodes on change management as well. 
Uh, we mentioned, you know, Paul Major and and um, from ProSci, Tim Creasy. But pulling that together, what is the difference between regular change management and complex change management would kind of be my first thought and question. What makes change complex? And secondly, moving on from that, and just thinking back to what you said a little bit earlier around project management, is change management just another name for project management? Because is there a difference between change management and project managing a change project? Doing change management on a project, I know it's <clears throat> into, and yeah. um, certainly, um, I've just realized I didn't answer fully a question Val posed <laughs> quite a while ago, which, which that I just gave one thing, which is if you understand yourself better, there are training courses out there, as you likely know, that do it. And you know, in the UK, APMG have got quite a number of those. and. Uh, they are fantastic if you just keep in mind fundamentally you've got to tie it back into the project management stuff so no no absolutely i fully uh fully agree um the complex versus complex well complex complicated um i you may have picked up from that dale and i assume where it came from was i some i went in some master classes uh, a mastermind I was in a part of a mastermind group with Thomas and Penny Power I was talking about earlier. And there was an issue about most of the people in the room weren't from our world. So they didn't know what we did. Now, if I just give you an example, we went along to a dinner last week, the pack dinner deal, which you know was happening. And there was people all around the room and they were all heads of delivery for organizations at the dinner. And then, so I'm a kind of consultant that then works for the heads of delivery. If you're in the outside world, you don't even get often what projects are within organization and that there's whole groups of people called capability people and projects, program people within an organization. And then I've got to explain that I'm a consultant who works then for that. So you can kind of see where people are going, what the hell? And if you don't work in a complex complicated large organizations like i don't even know what that is you know a banana squasher person you know there's a job yeah yeah squash bananas all day you know it's kind of just as a is just um so i was trying to explain what i did and we came up with three words so i did this branding thing in myself which was complex change catalyst change maker is used a lot mm-hmm but the catalyst was slightly different, which kind of ties back to the animation, team animation. I thought team catalyst, maybe should have called the company that 20 years ago. Um, And we went through how we got the three words and the complex was, I'll come on to um, change. I didn't want to use the word projects. If you use the word project, you need to use the word program and portfolio and transformation. So we stopped the change. And then the catalyst was the, you bring energy to so you, you, you give a surface in which things react. You, you, bring, you bring the energy out of uh, inherently what is already there. You know, as you can see, I did look up what, what the hell a catalyst was before I chose the word. Um, and the reason I chose co- complex was most of the stuff that I'd been involved with for the last few years, I would, I would class as complex because it was, there was a high level of uncertainty and ambiguity. So... You, you get to the point where complicated is 
again, this is my my little definition. There's a you can you can have things that are highly very complicated with thousands conceivably of components elements. Now they could be people, they could be components for project, but they're kind of all known, and the level of uncertainty and ambiguity of the relationship between them is kind of well relatively well known. You know, and I've I've had a friend who was coaching somebody in an oil company. And um, he used to call himself project manager. And I think, as Andy said, I think it was something like 14, 15 billion. Because he said, I'm not using transformation of program. We know what it is that needs to be done. Mm. It's just it's really big and it'll take a while. But we kind of don't quite know what valve it is will fit in that bit of pipeline in eight years. But it's near as damn it. I'll tell you, there is going to be one. So that's, you could argue, is complicated. And that's why the person must have been very sure of themselves, called themselves the project manager because they were managing a project. Even though it was, they should have been executive managing strategic director if somebody had not, um, hadn't been as confident in themselves. Um, and, oh God, I've kind of lost my train of thought now. This is what happens when you go too far. We love the rabbit holes. Yeah. As deep as you want to go. Yeah. Oh yeah, so complicated, complex. So, if, if that's complicated, the complex is that you don't actually know all the bits. The bits could be people, elements of projects, so, and you can't understand and easily predict the relationships between them or even whether they will or won't exist. And I listened to a fantastic talk on the Project Data Analytics Task Force a few months ago, sitting here, listening away, doing some work, and Dave Snowden, who, if you can get him your podcast, you would be. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Now, Dave Snowden explained that he said it's like complex. He said the best description I had was if you wander without realizing it into a, th a, a thicket of brambles, and we've got plenty of when I go out for a walk, we've got various areas, and I now look at it, and you wander in there and you get stuck. And as you go to turn, you, you take one away that's gone off across your chest, and as you pull that away, something twangs your ankle. And you think, how the hell did that? It doesn't even seem to be correct. In fact, you can't even see where one plant starts and the other stops. And you can't explain the, the rationale for why something's just whacked you in the face when you stood in something on your right foot to try and step over it. How the hell did that come up and hit me in the face? And that, I thought it was just... He admitted it wasn't him. It was a friend that had explained it to me. I thought, God, that's genius. Now, that's that's complex, I think, in the true world, true world, maybe even verging on Dave's kind of chaotic because you don't actually know what's going to happen. But that's that's a good one. You can kind of see, but you do not understand the relation. And you can't actually see all the bits. You can't even see what, what plant. Is this one plant or is it 100 of them? Yeah. And that's... That's yeah, you, unique. So we had Dave on eight episodes ago, episode ah, 83, and yeah. he used the he same fantastic. analogy. It was, oh, yeah, right. it was fantastic. Apologies, James. No, it's great. Why? It's great. It, it, he's, he's, um, I'm actually just halfway through his book on the Kinefin framework, and I think it's, it's phenomenal for people who don't know who he is. That's great that you brought him back up. So well done, Donnie. Oh, yeah. thank you. No, it, it's fantastic because it is such a small world and, you know, invariably you'll, you'll end up crossing paths with many people. And one of the reasons we have this podcast is to, you know, discuss anecdotes from various people. And it's great because, 
you know, we might have had Dave on and no one knows of him and you bring him up just ratifies, you know, you know, sort of oh, edifies that as well. For many people, he's a kind of, um, you know, godlike in terms of, well, one, his intellect, I was never, I mean, I, I had to sleep for oh. a week. Oh, Same, yeah. funny. Agree, yeah. Agree. All our brains hurt. Yeah. Amazing. It wasn't, the, the thing was that it wasn't a switch off because you think this is just all gobbledygook bollocks. You thought every sentence he said yeah. demanded its own little bit of reflection. Yeah. And then he would say a hundred of them connect. And you think, God, there's just been a hundred sentences, each one of which demands a bit of a reflection. He's like, oh, head hurts. This is... Agreed. Agreed. No, I, yes, I, I, I'm not yeah. sure. Sorry, if that, if that is a decent answer, but the, that's how the complex and the uniqueness, I think, of it is you back to the the disc is not a good model necessarily for it. There's other models that mm. are only certain people that naturally would move towards that and get attracted to it. I think somebody, Val, you gave the example earlier, you couldn't understand this person who wanted the structure and bureaucracy. Well, you classed it as bureaucracy. I'm sure they just <laughs> thought it was order. But if someone like that, no, no judgment at all, might find going into a truly complex program, uh, well, as soon as we get control of it, when you go, no, 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 you'll never have control of it. You'll kill yourself trying to get control for one night and then you'll open your email or have a phone call the next morning and it's gone to rat shit again. So yeah, you need to be in a, we will never get control in the sense that we would be comfortable with what control I traditionally think control is. And that's hopefully Dale kind of getting back to. And I think there's a subset of people, they're not better or different, they're just different, mm. that would be comfortable in that environment. Um, yeah. And that's where I'd like to think um, I comfortably, quite comfortably sit. Because I think if it was at the other end of the spectrum, I'd get bored to tears. But yeah. that's maybe a sad reflection in me. It's not a reflection of people that do that. It's just I don't have the you know, other characteristics that can deliver on something like that. Well, I think it takes all sorts to, you know, bring projects together. I think it was Dave himself who said, you know, maybe we should do away with the single project manager and we need this project crew. Um, but folks, we won't spoil that episode. Go back and have a listen to that. Dave, Dave, Donnie, I just want to ask, I guess, one more before we head into Machine Gun Martin, which is a, a bit of a feature oh, we're starting. Um, I wanted to bring it back and just ask you one more, because I know you brought up data analytics as well, which we'll go through later. But I want to ask you, just sticking with the change and complex change, I guess, catalyst, as you're putting it, do you have like a hierarchy of needs when it comes to change management? Like what we have to do first as a foundation before we go to the next levels? So I know you, you spoke about human dimensions. Is that maybe like level one? What do you what is your foundation you have to lay before you get into actually um, carrying out all the changes? Is there a foundation or is it various moving parts at the same time? Yeah, you 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 get me quite worried there, Dale, because I was thinking, oh my God, this is the first really uncomfortable question. Because <laughs> I was thinking, oh my God, make up a seven level model. Uh, <laughs> where's Cotter's book? I'll just go get it off his yacht. I'll, I'll come up with a slightly different way of describing it. Um, back to my strengths of delivering complexity is also the weakness in that I don't necessarily, I... I, uh, I'll talk about me and then broaden it. I pull a lot of knowledge and information in, synthesizes like a positive way of putting it. Um, 
and just hopefully seem to make the right choices at the right time. And I think it's quite dangerous. So Cotter's model's fantastic. You know, God forbid that I would criticise it. But, you know, a lot of seasoned professionals go, you know, it's very simplistic. Um, and I can think of examples where I've gone in to say there's something, a, a change that's going badly wrong or the company's having major difficulty delivering its change. And the first thing I'm saying, actually, it's your cost management system or your data that you've, that's wrong, or you've got two individuals that are incompetent and need to be let go, or, or and it's, I, I guess it's, you've got to pull in a lot of information and make decisions very quickly. And crikey, it's slightly more a kind of consultancy model of, you know, um, you know, PA had a model, which I'm sure you know, which was you open up, you close, you know, you get you close down, you open up, you close down, you try and work in some structure. But what the model is within it, I think it maybe works in the complicated downwards. It doesn't work in the complex because it's like you you don't know you, you can only use your judgment. Mm. Um, well, well, if if I jump in there, we we spoke on the last episode with Americo Pinto around PMOs. And I think it's similar. We use the whole physician or GP analogy where the good ones would ask you about your symptoms and try and first detect what the root cause is before giving you the medicine. And I think that's kind of what you're saying as well is, you know, you're not necessarily going to go in with a framework because that might not work. You're going to go in and assess what is the situation where, what is the root cause? Because as you say, you might be saying, oh, my, my arm, my right arm hurts, but Maybe actually that's just referred pain because you've got a trapped nerve in, you know, in your neck. So, yeah, I, I think that's what you're saying. Am I wrong or am I right? No, Tell no, me I'm that's, wrong. That's exactly what I was just about to say, Dale, because it's such a wonderful analogy. Just take the words out of my mouth. <laughs> no, fantastic. Um, let's stop there for me and hand over to Machine Gun Martin. So Machine Gun Martin, it's basically his... Uh, name to always license to try and ask you some really awkward questions, Donny. Um, so we, we've taken the, the piss out of Martin a little bit, but it's his turn to to get his own back. So over to you, Martin. I don't think you're going to struggle with these, to be honest, but um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so over the last few weeks, we've been quite fortunate. We've met a few people who have worked on the, the project management handbooks, the, the textbooks, um, shout out to Eileen and, and Lindsay of House of PMO uh, in episode yeah, yeah. 88. Very good episode. From a people in project management perspective, which I, I know you've had some input into the handbook, what have been the main breakthroughs on, on the people side of, of project management in the last few years and then going back, let's say 30 years? What, what do we know now that we didn't know previously? What are we not talking about that we should be? Well, um, slightly kind of slightly strange answer is, um, and this this sounds like a negative on the Association for Project Management, but I I uh, bear with me, Martin. I, I, it, it is an answer of sorts. Um, I remember um, I, I I was I was chairing the. The, the human-y type SIG in the APM. And I changed the name to it. And I can remember we decided to call it the People SIG. So it changed its name to the People SIG. And I can remember just getting a little bit disillusioned because there was a lot of us banging the drum about the importance of people. And everyone going, yes, you're right, people are important, but doing nothing about it. 
So to answer your first thing is, uh, I, I think the biggest breakthrough was that when people actually started going, this really is important, isn't it? It actually does impact things. They didn't know what they meant when they said the people. And again, this sounds like a negative, what I'm about to say, which is I do remember meeting with somebody, I think they were a board member or something, um, and they asked me to have a conversation with them or whatever, and I think I was even in London, I went over to see them, and they sat me down as if they were going to you know, announce that they were actually my real father or something, and they actually said, look, I think I've worked out, I think people are really important in projects. And it was at that moment I decided to resign because I thought, oh, God, life's too short. If we're still going, God, this is like, I think I was expecting me to get up and hug him or something. And, and ever since then, I've jokingly, I've got a couple of people I work with a lot, Arnab Banerjee, Andrew Johnson and blah, blah. And with this running joke when we're working together, if anyone said at a meeting, the people side are important, I used to, well, I wouldn't do it because I'm so kind, you know, get quite profane and get violent, jokingly, like grab a chair in a meeting room. People sometimes react, you think, what the hell? But it was for their bit, it was just the, really we're at the point where people still state the fact that people are important in projects. God's truth. So there's a, a slightly roundabout to begin with, Martin. Um, I, I think that was the biggest one of going that. Now, then... Then I think the next issue was, well, what the hell does that mean? And that's where I think the, the you've done insights. I've done it myself, actually, in various, whether it's insights or any other disk-based model or whether it's whatever you do, um, that was a big thing. So now we've got models, we've got structures, um, a little bit more mainstream use of, you know, um, Val, you mentioned you've done NLP. Yeah. things like that creeping in um peter parks who I used to have an awful lot to do with um in fact we used to compete in the apm about who seemed to be who to get the most mentioned in the newsletter and project magazine i know peter i don't think much as much to do with it, the apm anymore um peter wrote a book on nlp and project management um and i know other people have as well so it, that kind of thing not quite mainstream but it came out and um, I think the, the importance of, you know, I don't know, a project team working together for three years, Martin, finally now somebody goes, well, let's wait six months in, we'll get everyone together and we'll do one of them team things for an hour or two and then take everyone else to go out and get pissed. You know, most people have gone, mm, kind of, you know what, maybe the first thing we should be doing, whether the alcohol comes into it or not, is actually, if we're going to be spending three years together, wouldn't it be a good idea? Imagine we only improved the quality of the relationships a bit, or I was able to get more out of you, Martin, because you worked for me, and you know I worked for Val, and Val worked out how to motivate me better. Surely to God would actually get nearer to high productivity. So I think that's what started to come in. And then I'll throw in my, and that's in many different ways, and we could spend hours talking about all the things you could do. The bit that I um, have added to it, hopefully the intellectual catalogue, is have you had um, Adrian Dooley on? Not from yet. Praxis Framework, no. right? Again, lovely man. 
And Adrian's developed, he's another person that's helped to change the world, like Martin Paver. Um, Adrian created the Praxis framework. And I, I, I remember calling Adrian and saying, I want to do something about the, how does the people bit, the human dimension, impact project management? And I banged on about it. And Adrian, being a different color to me, said, I don't know what that means. You'll need to show me. So I had to go away and create some material. And we ended up in the Praxis framework, you'll find an element of it called team Praxis. And what it does is it hardwires the human dimension, surprise, surprise, the disk model, and says, how does that impact the way that somebody would perceive or do risk or carry out assurance? So if a Val, Val and Dale, who are still at opposite ends of the screen here, if they were both working on um, planning, if Dale knew that he was green and Val knew that he was yellow, they could play to each other's strengths or not and simply clash all the time because they just don't have any understanding of each other. I so, still don't understand Val, so it doesn't matter. All right, that's all. <laughs> so it's, it's all right, it's natural. It's a bit of a roundabout way, Martin, but I think that's the bit I've added and I'm still I'm quite proud of all that work because Adrian says, I'm not putting any of it up unless you commit to doing covering 20, 15 or 20 areas from assurance to planning. And I can think of the many, <gasps> as a yellow trying to create this stuff, conceptually, it's very easy to actually do it. It's completely different. Um, but it does, and companies are using it now a little bit to go, might this explain why we've got a problem where a risk process would bring hard wire, the people bit, not as a afterthought, actually, ah, these colours, this might help explain it. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a, after you machine gunning that, I'll just give you a rambling uh, response. No, it's good because it's showing the, the real cultural shift as well. We've got a few models that help us to, to demonstrate it. I you know, remember Dale and, and Val doing it on, on our project and it, it, it worked quite well. Um, yeah, and it sounds like the future is just more cultural change embedding that, getting people to think about that more often in, in businesses and, and organizations. Um, so yeah, that, that can only be a, a positive. And, and so just as you said that, Martin, the whole thing about learning and development nowadays, the people want to be engaged community, whether people, the way, the style of working, whether they want to do hybrid working or not, you could come up with so many examples. If you knew that, you know, and God, what we'll do is we'll have a weekly team meeting in the office and you look around at the profiles and you, you had some layering that gave you an insight and go, Okay, so three quarters of the team never want to see the office block again until they pick up their retirement check. Right, okay, so at least I've now got an insight. So whatever insight it is, if it gives you something to go, well, I'm still going to ask people to come in, but I'm now conscious of the fact that most of them don't need to do that. doesn't mean to say you don't, but you at least have got some insight about it. Not an insight in the tool sense, but insight in the generic use of the word. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how managers and organizations really cope with this because it's a whole new dimension, really. You know, a lot of companies talked about remote working but never really put it into practice. Now it, it was the norm yeah. last year and now they're having to think about it again. So it's, oh, um, it's, it's difficult. Um, another question, a, a simple question to a very complex subject. Um, 
for our listeners who are quite new to, to project management and the industry and, and change management, when we look at the success of, of change management projects overall, we've been doing it for the last 50, 60 years in, in major organizations, but the success rate is at best crap in, in terms of managing successful full change projects. There's been a lot of experts over that time, a lot of books that have been written about it. Why do you think organizations still aren't learning or still not putting these things into practice and being successful? Is there stuff that we're just not speaking about? Is there stuff from your experience where you, you just think organizations just don't get it and they, they should be focusing on X, Y, Z? How, how would you kind of feel about that? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> you, you've got to remember this 20 to 10. <laughs> you, you know, I've got to go and get a coffee. Sorry, I was, uh, I that one, I was hoping it was a simple question. <laughs> um, I'll go back to the like, first part. I'll go back to Dale's analogy about the uh, medical one. Is well, well, first of all, so there's an awful lot of stuff written about the reasons for success and the reasons for failure. Most of the stuff that's written about it is crap. And the reason I say that it's crap is because uh, crap is a consultancy, not in the crude sense of the word, I wouldn't say a word like that on air, um, is it's symptoms. It's not root cause. So what you do is you, if, oh God, I get so frustrated. You know, they'll list out, well, it's a lack of stakeholder engagement, lack of, you know, um, governance structures being applied. God, do we need another bloody report that says how you make projects success or, or, or failure? But why? You need to apply the, and I can't remember what the model is, not quite five whys, that is our name for it, in one of my books up in the bookcases there that have got it, but at least one or two. But why were the stakeholders not engaged? Or why was the sponsor, did the sponsor not provide thing? No, uh, you know, the sponsor did not provide enough support. Remember, oh, God, of course, that's bloody obvious. But why did they not? And I would, I'm not saying there's a root cause at the bottom of everything, but most of it is usually the human dimension. Surprise, surprise, Martin. I'm bound, I'm bound to say Who'd that. have thought? Um, it's self-interest. It's lack of, it's career problems. It's personal problems. Why did the sponsor not? In it? Because they, had, they were overworked. Or they actually just found the fact they realized that the project was career limiting to be associated with it. So they wanted to get out of it as quickly as they could. Or, 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 why were stakeholders not engaged? Because, um, because there was a rubbish job done at doing stakeholder engagement. The stakeholder engagement, a lack of the, that stuff is known. And please, God, professional bodies, don't write another report on success or failure criteria unless you go to, but why? Or those things, do those things occur? And that's, I think, your point as well, Mark. So, so why? Um, I think it's the human dimension of we are all flawed, people are incompetent to an extent, we're all incompetent to some degree. People are only motivated to often do what maybe really interests them unless they're driven to through cash reward or whatever, blah, blah. If you take that stuff, then that starts to explain why. Why do companies not learn from one project to the next? Well, and whose interest is it? 
to mm. do it and to actually learn, learn lessons. I, I don't I'm not really starting a new project. It's boring going back and looking at old stuff. It's not hardwired into how things need to be done. I'm not going to get rewarded for spending weeks or months going back and interrogating every one of my peers. So what's the self-interest in it for me? So I think if there was a far stronger focus on crude basic self-interest about why somebody should engage in a project, why should somebody learn lessons? You know, why should somebody apply processes and standards and structures if they don't absolutely have to? And it's not the kind of thing that they enjoy doing. Um, so I think we kind of fool ourselves an awful lot. And it, 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 there is a bit, I'll give an analogy of slight analogy in the, the built environment world and infrastructure world. Um, there's a colleague in a group has done a synthesis of all the recent reports that have been done. I say recent from to John Egan or even before that, right the way through to um the reports and they all say broadly the same things about the infrastructure world and why there's a lack of productivity and blah 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 um again they all frustrate the hell out of me not the original ones because they were insightful at the time but now we're just repeating it because if you if you were at a seminar or a dinner or whatever people would sit and talk about it and a present presentation and go mm -hmm, absolutely yes 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 when everyone walks out and they're walking to the train station or they're going to the pub for a drink, then they talk about the real reason, which is, well, that's all good. But, you know, we've got revenue, no, major consultancies, you know, tier ones. Sorry for anyone listening from, dare I say it, the Jacobs, Nacoms and Arcadis and all that, you know, close your ears now. <laughs> in, in whose interest is it to actually do any of the things that are within these reports? You're right, my God, if we change the structure or process of working, we could likely shed 50%, 50%, that's 50% of my consultants. Now, I'm being hard on the consultant bit because it's maybe an easy, easy kind of fruit to pick. Um, but likely you could just apply the same analogies. It's, so I did a little bit and I wrote it up and it's kind of getting brought in at some point again in this, infinitely small amount of time that I have, I might do something with it, which was in, if you ask in whose interest is it to make that change, but more importantly, in whose interest is it not to make that change? Not in the superficial strategy paper level, in true literally the CEO or board or the, the resource manager in that, that contractor or the consultant, is it in their self-interest to make that change? And I think if you went through and did some form of traffic lights, okay, I'm now going further than I've ever thought about this. If you did some crude stakeholder map with a bit of traffic lights, you'd likely find it would start to identify, you know, you'd need to be do that exercise in your most cynical human, maybe have a couple of drinks before you all do it in a workshop, something like that. And then you do the exercise and you go, yeah, it's kind of obvious why it's no self. It's for some government minister writing or some new head of a profession that's come in or whatever. It sounds good. And people will nod. Nobody's going to say, there's no way we're going to do any of that. I'll do superficially a little bit of it. I'm damned if I'm going to work in this. Completely involve the supply chain and key decision making. You're absolutely right. 
we should involve them right at the start of the design process, walk out the room and go, bollocks to that. Because if they get speaking, what the hell am I going to do with this swages of, you know, again, pause, sorry, the consultant, I am one, and I work for a big consultancy, you know, bucket loads of people. And that's a very simple example about the involve the supply chain right the way up. It sounds great, but there's so many self-interests in the way of doing that. Sorry, there you go. It's slightly contentious. And apologies for anybody that feels slightly offended by that. But hey, that's just an opinion. No, that's it. You've got to think in those terms. You've got to be, you've got to be cynical. You've got to think about who, who really wins. And maybe mm. people don't think about that enough. Val looks like he's, he's got a few questions lined up there. So I'll pass over to him now. No, I was, I was more nodding in agreement. I think you're right, uh, Donny. You know, who is, who is being why are we doing some things with the, with regard to self-interest as well? I think there's a lot of inflation with these reports, you know, and, and obviously a lot of inflation when it comes to solutions, right? So when arguably when there's a problem presented, the solution seems harder than the problem. And, you know, it's, it's 300 pages and, you know, you, you do need 50 consultants to roll that out by the way. And then, you know, and I think, you know, take, take a stab at the consultancies. That's fine. I think actually a lot of consultancies are more like body shops, you know, where god forbid crossing i can say that (laughs) well i think i think they should you know it's it's important to kind of have a harsh reality check and see what exactly you're providing in terms of value to uh, the client and you know i I think for for big firms there it's unfortunate for them from my perspective because i think they're so big that when you're when you're that big and you have a superstructure and an overhead the only thing you can do is grow you don't have the ability to fall back on anything. So they, they, they're looking for ways to maintain that, that beast, that engine. It always needs fueling and feeding. And I think that's a cyclic behavior. And then it probably pushes people the wrong direction. And, uh, and uh, I think there was a minister in Australia just the other day, it was in the AFR, Australian Financial Review, and he said something like, um, I don't think he said it, I think it was paraphrased because uh, it's, it's always the way with politicians, something like you know, consultants are parasitic. And I was like, ouch, you know, that hurt. Uh, but maybe it's true. Maybe it's right. You know, self-reflection is important. But I just wanted a few comments there. Um, I don't know if you wanted to comment on that as well, uh, Donny. Well, I, I think the other constraining thing, I'm not sure if this is answering it directly or not, um, Val, is the, uh, is the how, how open people are really to innovate and say, actually, there's a completely and utterly different model for for doing this and okay we'll take the analogy of you know if um if jeff bezos or Elon musk or the equivalent you know turn, turned their sights on the construction industry likely the uk is as bad as any in terms of the complexity and like you know on it they could likely do a massively better job because they would i would imagine massively reduce the complexity of the way we do things so i'll give a shout out for a company i've got no allegiances directly to i just have met with some of the people i mean bride and wood in the uk are doing amazing work um in you know the modular construction and they're not the only ones i may add in any way you know or for design for manufacture now that's a radical change you know the the they're showing examples about how they were putting buildings up giving it to, you know, a team of um, uh, Gurkhas and saying, I want you to put this two-storey building up with almost no instructions 
apart from what's in this box of parts and it almost truly ikea level um construction now mm. that well the hold on if you start modularizing everything then where does the architect come in that architects work again i'm let's do architects and criticize everyone else so you go you know if the model is let's conceptually start from scratch i think bryden wood did a fantastic thing you know with the school so they developed a thing saying that shouldn't schools be modularized so if you're building them if you build one down the road and the one that they're pretty much modular you not start from scratch go will we do it in wood will we do it you have a couple of different material types and they run they ran models and they, they could run millions of combinations within a few days of headmaster wants to be within 30 meters of this because of the number of pupils the size of the gym and that would come up with designs that would then be architected and modified and so on but that's mm. a radical change for lots of people not just the construction but the supply chain it's a manufacturing thing the design of it completely changes as well and who's involved in it now that's what i yeah. guess i mean with the whose self-interest is that well if you're a bride and wood sure as hell and you know for design for manufacture and modular construction company of course you're going to be hugely supportive of it so, um, and I, my guess is if a Jeff Bezos or a Elon Musk or whatever turned their sights in it, they would go down that kind of road and they go, just build like Amazon. You know, would you want to order a two-story building? Hold on a minute, just tick this list down the side. You know, kind of hoof house-like in Germany. And, um, you know, it will come in and we'll, um, we'll get the thing kitted out and built for you. And it will be done in a factory. Okay, I'm, I seem like I'm going down one technical thing, but I think that is the future for construction, where it can be. You can't just build a new breakwater or pier necessarily or yeah. docks or something easily in a modular, just build a dock and drop it in, you know. But you've still got heavy engineering. But anything beyond that, you think, surely, if you're going to be building a 1,000 of these across the country, and how open are we to innovation, truly? Again, there's too many self-interests that just aren't because they can see the impact it will have. At your point, you know, that if a company has grown to, and it always worries me when you see companies that have grown to, say, 10,000, you know, especially mm. if they're listed um, and so on, you know, who's self-interested? Go, oh, my God, we've worked out the most incredible approach to help the clients over the next two years. It will mean 50% less people in revenue. Profits are still not, but I'm like, you can just imagine the investors going, oh, steady there. Let's just kind of re, let's go back to what we're here for. Well, it says number one, which is to serve our clients. Yeah, well, we know that, but let's, well, what's number two and three? Yeah, I completely agree. I think the, um, you're taking a book out of NLP, you know, people aren't their behaviors, but, but damn, they can be easily incentivized or motivated. Um, especially when value sets are around growth and money. I mean, one of the interesting things you mentioned was innovation, which I think, you know, is, is essentially something that's stifled when you're under that kind of pressure. Um, with regards to innovation, I think you need a little bit of, uh, of negative pressure, something, you know, you look at, and a good example is the pandemic, right? The adaption and adoption of remote working, remote living, still things are getting built, things are still getting done um, in the advent of, of, you know, a global uh, pandemic, you know, something that's actually affecting all of us. That's pretty impressive, uh, especially when, you know, I would say most of our senior management and, and the C-suite 
wouldn't wouldn't even move away from a spreadsheet, you know, uh, probably three years ago. And now they're looking at digital BI and, and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think, you know, we talked about Martin Paver, shout out to him. I think this is an accelerant, exactly what we need to help build up that, um, that appetite for it. So from a from a, almost like a burning platform type of change management process to get people to adopt to a new way of working. Um, but I think businesses are also responsible for that, uh, that continuous innovations. And you mentioned e- Elon <laughs> and he's a, I'm a big fan of his because he, he talks about the difference between continuous improvement and first principles. And I love the idea because it's very engineering to think like that and to kind of break things down. Not that you can break everything down, but he'll, He'll ignore the continuous improvement. Pin. That, that's how you used to do it. But what are we trying to do back to what is the interest? What are the fundamental things, you know, for example, building a rocket? And he comes back with these astronomical changes to, and they, they, they seem obvious once he mentions them. You're like, oh yeah, of course, you know, we'll just build tunnels everywhere and, you know, reusable rockets. That makes perfect sense to me from an efficiency perspective, but no one else thought of it. I love to, yeah. I love the fact you just, bit, you know, well, you can't because the tunneling industry couldn't see thought so he bought was it a german or some from some he said well, buy a tunneling machine and we'll just have a play <laughs> it's like oh my god i mean it's just what? fantastic yeah. incredible incredible idea and very inspiring for those that are who hasn't maybe a lot of people haven't heard about some of the crazy projects uh not oh, crazy is not the right word innovative ways elon thinks about problems is probably the way we want to say it um but i'll stop talking because donnie you and i could probably talk for hours on end uh dale over to you Oh, I didn't know you were a fan of Elon's, but thanks for letting us know. Um, it's great, great to know that. He <laughs> so, never mentions it. No, he never mentions all the time. It all. Yeah, Come on. Uh, no, it's great. But Donnie, I agree with what you're saying there as well, because I think you know we've we've also mused before around how projects haven't borrowed enough from manufacturing and factories and things like that, and you know the modularizing of construction is great. I guess where it might not apply is the software development type projects and things like that, where Maybe it could, maybe you could modularize certain functionality somehow, but um, we'll leave that one to the experts. But I, I think there's still a lot of growth and opportunity and innovation that we can borrow from other industries. So absolutely yeah. spot on. But I, I do want to make a bit of space because I know we, we moving towards the end of the pod for um, you know sharing of the community and also Pino, which you mentioned as well. Now, you have a fantastic panel of delivery experts, as you call them, which you send a call out to, uh, a question to, and um, you ask them for their three-minute response. The panel's amazing, except for one person on it, me. I don't know why I'm on there, but um, I'm not an expert. I don't think I am. Ask people who are on there, oh, you've got to be an expert, Dale, so take it. You've got your (laughs) official certificate and stamps now you can... (laughs) There we go. But no, honestly, it is amazing experiment for those that haven't checked it out. Um, and I'll, I'll let you explain it, Donnie, how it all came about, what the whole idea is, um, and where it might be going. Yeah, well, uh, maybe just broaden it slightly, Dale, which is back to the point of um, I, we, cre- I, we created, myself and Jonathan Norman, created the delivery club a few years ago. And the idea was it started, I think with seven or eight of us sitting around a table um, in a company and they were all head of deliveries. And that's either one of two strands, somebody who's head of the all the project delivery. So they might have all the projects and program managers under them, or they're the head of the capability and improving it and, and doing all that. And some people, of course, share the role. So that's what we call delivery 
experts or delivery leader. And so we set up the delivery club simply because I, I can remember I had the idea and then I went along to one of the um, uh, PMO flash mob conferences or whatever it was called then. I know Lindsay and Eileen, it's now House of PMO, whatever it was called, and got and it was um, got a little bit tipsy and it was quite late on. And I think Lindsay was like, well, I know you can edit and apologies for it. You said, well, why the fuck don't you just do it? And it was, and it stuck with me. So, and, and it was like, yeah, you're right. I should, you're right, Lindsay, you should, I'm going to do it. And of course the next week or so I went, well, you know, I'll, I'll run the first one and nobody will turn up, oh God. But of course they did all turn up. And one person I'd never met before, I'd invited him. And I said, you're head of delivery for this, a company I really won't go into names necessarily. You can see them all linked in, but I won't embarrass them. They came along and everyone went, God, this is great. And they're all still members. And we've expanded it, not massively, um, because interestingly, what they liked was the intimate conversation. If there's 40 people in a room, you're into a completely different thing. If there's a dozen people at most and people say, well, I've got a problem with putting a capability framework into our company. An hour's worth of conversation from your peer who have either not done it or get some innovative ideas. So I've, I've always had the natural thing about doing that. And then we, the delivery club, as you might imagine, was no face-to-face. We did do some... Um, uh, some uh, video calls, which were great. We were doing them over lunch times. So we said, look, we're going to leave it for most of 2021 and we're going to kick it off again in 2022. Interestingly, having two Cube events, you know, Eddie Obens. Yeah, we've had Eddie on. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Eddie's, so great. Eddie's, Eddie's offered us two slots, proper slot, big slots next year. Well done, Eddie. Um, through Jonathan, again, wonderful Jonathan. And um, so we've got 2022, we'll kick off again. But in the meantime, I was at one of my Acumen 7 events, which is another group, my director are there. And they're an amazing group of people. And Steve Molesworth came along and presented this thing called a Piner. And I just sat and was watching going, oh my God, imagine what you could do with this in the projects world. Imagine if within okay, at an extreme 24 hours or 48 hours, so I don't know, let's just say, Mark, you had a question about whatever, and you've paid a lot of this money, and you send out, and you say, I want 12 people to respond, and I can literally maybe even choose four people at this level, four at that, and that's the way that they were using it. So it was four general members of the public, or three executive, or four people at a wisdom level. level. And apologies, Steve, I'm doing all this. It's been a long day. The right groups that are, exist within... A pioneer. And I was sitting thinking, crikey, imagine if you had that in the projects world because somebody mentioned, I think you mentioned, Dale, about lessons learned and everything. How do you do it? So we've yeah. got big ideas about what you can do with a pioneer. So I got the call. I had a quick call with Steve and I thought, crikey, there's something in this. Surprise, surprise, wheeled Jonathan in, my partner in crime. We sat and listened to him and went, wow. And after a number of calls, we said, well, let's do eight questions, broadly the same framework, which is, you know, one day you get a question posed and then you get a limited amount of time to respond because 
the way they were doing it is they've quite large communities of people and they put it out and a, a retail company will ask 12 general members of the public with a bit of a demographics that they can choose from and they'll get those 12 responses within you know 24 hours you can imagine if, if you employed a company to do that well would need video would have to get the people in would have to interview them have to edit it have to get do, 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 do. where they are it's all done there's no one approving whether you can use it because you've agreed to all those terms and conditions but it's all done and the videos are um you know are automatically edited down and so on you know steve will admit the fact there is a little bit of a swan you know there's, there's a bit of fair pick on below the surface to make it look so seamless um and so that's where we've done you've contributed deal which has been fantastic and we have the idea as of so hot off the press is we've got two more questions to do we've chosen them so we've we've just had the sponsorship one yep. the next guy is somebody you should suggest think you can if you can go on a guy called richard foster fletcher who is uh unbelievably awesome and he runs his own podcast community stuff all around ai and he's interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people now on AI and its ethical use and so on. And Rich is going to do the next one about trust in data and ethics, which will come out. So we just got the video tonight from Richards. So that's fantastic. And then the next two we've got set up, that'll take us to the end of this year. And then next year, we're going to do it on a monthly basis. So just keep a little bit of a, just one question, maybe try and keep it really topical on what's just happened you know the apm is just you know you know i don't know is just merged with pmi mm. what do you think whatever it may be um that's not a rumor by the way but it's just i heard it in a, from a guy in the pub yesterday but i don't know whether it's true or not um so that's and that, that, that's where a pioneer and i think it's just i don't really care yeah. if it takes how much effort it takes and Jonathan's the same. It just feels like a great thing to do. And it's bloody marvelous doing stuff like this. Um, it is, you know, from a from a contributor perspective, it is a lot of fun as well because one of the rules is, you know, answer the question on location. So whether you sort of out walking or just done a bit of exercise and had a run or whatever the case might be, then um yeah, you know, it it's great. Um I also find it interesting in terms of you're not in a room discussing it. So you actually don't have that whole groupthink mentality. It's yeah. purely your opinion. Um, I mean, you, you you could, if there are others that have already submitted, you know, review their answers and try and add to it. But I think that defeats the, the purpose. Um, you've, for many you've, got your, you've got your 14 points and you sit and listen to all the videos and go, oh, damn, damn, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Left with one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, yeah, there are advantages actually of trying to get in first and early so that, you know, um, you're not seen to be stealing other people's ideas, even though it is duplication. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. And I think it's a, a good example of how, you know, there's other folks out there that want to actually just pay it forward. And, and that's one of the reasons we do the podcast or the main reason we do the podcast as well. So thanks for exploring that that space and anything we can do to promote it, we will do as well. But as I said, we are heading towards the end of the podcast, Donya. I hope you've had a lot of fun thus far it's not ended yet the fun because we do have the feature at the end of the podcast and for this i'll hand back to mr martin curriston
Thank you, Dale. Yeah, so as Dale said, this is our feature. It's called Defend the Indefensible. It's where we invite our guests to defend a ridiculous statement for 30 seconds. It's inspired by some of the wonderful crap we've all heard over the years, and um, it sounds like you, you've heard a fair bit of it in your time. So well, if it's the same, yes. No, 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 no not quite. Um, so if you're willing, um, yeah, let's, let's make a start. So, Donny, your statement to defend for 30 seconds. We don't need to worry about the people side of change management. The process just needs to be watertight. Discuss. If you've got a good enough process and a good enough structure that's got enough control that can get people doing what they're supposed to be doing and not worrying about how they're feeling or what their concerns are or any of that, all you need is their minds. You don't need people's hearts. You just need to tell them to get on with it and that you'd maximize the productivity that way. And why people don't do it, I don't understand. You know, you cannot have too much control in a project's world because it is projects are built on the mechanics and structures and control. That's what should be there in the first place. Spoken like a true blue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was brilliant. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, before we go, we've got time for one more feature. It's called Fiverr. Five quick fire questions all about yourself. So if you're ready, let's make a start. Yeah, go for it. Okay, question one. Early mornings or late nights? Early mornings. Number two, what are the three must-have behaviors you look for in successful project teams? Oh, crikey. Um, cohesion, uh, clarity, and uh, chocolate. Three C's, very good. Number three, what's the best book you've been gifted? The uh, best book I've been gifted, which, oh, crikey. Um, goodness me, that's a tricky one. I'm trying to think of a book that I have. They get fiction or fact. Any, anything you like. I think something like Matthew, somebody gave me a book a little while ago and it was Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. Oh, that's Matthew. brilliant. That, yeah, it's really good. And that was one that I thought, Matt, wow, I loved, I loved it. And I actually, in fact, I, I nearly read half of it, which for me, and then I just flicked through the rest. <laughs> Nothing against you, Matthew, by the way. That's about, about, um, 3900s more than what I normally read. Oh, wow. <laughs> the fact I thought that way through. So, no, it was, uh, I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a very good author, Matthew Sayer. Number four, what's the biggest mistake you've made on a project? Um, I, if it's the wrong project, making me the project manager. <laughs> Just, you know, so, I'd be boring for a minute. There's certain types of project managers or program managers that are suited to certain contexts and certain types of change project to program. And if you kind of get that wrong, you know, can you deliver it? Yeah, but it, God, it could be painful for the team and painful for the person. It's just not you. You're not the right shape of person. Square pegs and all that stuff. Yeah, It's all back to understanding people again. So that's it. Okay, last question. If you could choose to be stuck in a lift with one person, who would it be and why? Well, um, I could get the 
Caleb answer and maybe Nigella Lawson from now. 20 years ago would be even better, but now it would be pretty cool. Um, I I think who who in not from necessarily of talking to them or relationship or whatever, somebody hugely this is going to sound really why there's someone like Angela Merkel, total or um you know, Barack Obama's to, you know, everyone says Barack Obama, but I'm not saying it because I just get admiration for, and I'll try not to say who's the prime minister that I would least like to be in, unless, of course, you're allowed to, to do certain things who would like that. I won't make that statement because I'm far too nice a guy. Uh, moving swiftly on, <laughs> back to a tale. <laughs> thanks for being a great sport donny bit of fun there at the end but as we said the entire episode has been a lot of fun before we let you go any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with i don't worry about any of that people stuff it's rubbish because as martin's question has shown me i've now got myself convinced that it is all rubbish <laughs> and you should people just get bloody on with it um no i if there's one thing gain as much personal insight as you can you can't always control yourself you don't always do the right thing and in fact you might even beat yourself up a bit more the more insight you have because you know you you've even got the insight but you can't control i'm not talking about myself by the way because i'm a perfect human being i'm just this person i know so personal insight i think and that would answer a lot of questions about change personal development, fitting in in teams. That's the one thing I think it's that most people should try and uh, improve on. Brilliant, brilliant. Final words, Donny. Thank you. Val, any well, thank you for... <laughs> yeah, Donny, just a quick one before you say thanks to us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on board and I think I had some great takeaways from yourself today. Uh, and particularly, you know, it was more introspective than, than I would have thought. You know, it, it was about actually, you know, take charge of the things that you can control your, your, yourself. Um, and that projects are imperfect and so are people. And I love the, the whole humanizing element of this episode. So thanks for your time. I really appreciated it. Lovely. Well, thank you, gents. Um, and Dale, thank you for originally inviting me. Um, Martin and Val, delighted to uh, to meet you as well. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing the bits and pieces and uh, that come out from this. Wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Can't believe it's quarter past 10 and I feel I feel maybe just start work now. Yeah. Not worry about that sleep thing. So I'm all motivated. I won't be able to get it. I'm like a child having just drank chocolate and and uh, and a fizzy drink. So thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. And while we're on the thanks, we've mentioned him a few times. Thanks to Jono Norman uh, for putting you in touch with us in the first yeah. instance. So thanks, Jono. Huge thanks. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. Remember to hit subscribe before you go. A massive thank you once again to our guest, Donnie McNichol. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me, Val, and Martin, it's bye for now. information blogs or to support our charities visit projectchatterpodcast.com and if you would like to sponsor the podcast get in touch via our website you can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast Views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast 
belongs solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual.